Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. where you can find literally any piece of information you could possibly hope to find, right? And so if I was learning guitar right now, uh, I would go online, I would watch YouTube videos, you know, I would learn how to take care of my guitar, what kind of guitar to buy, and, and I would have so much more knowledge walking into that. But back, back then, back in the olden days, if anyone remembers those days, before uh, all information was available to us, you kind of just had to rely on what people said to you. Do you remember those days? It feels like an eternity ago. But for those of us who actually were alive and functioning in that time, like you just kind of had to trust people at what they said, or you had to do a ton of work to find out if if it was true or not. And so that made a way for people to kind of throw out definitive statements. And if they seemed confident, you were like, yeah, that seems right. I'll believe you even if it was like a total lie or not based in any kind of reality. And that happened to me in my journey of learning how to play guitar. Somewhere along the line, somebody told me like, you need to change your strings all the time. Like you need to change them like every month. And I don't know if it was just like the guy who owned the music shop and he knew a sucker when he saw it. um, Or if he just assumed I'd be like shredding so hard that I would like break the strings, probably more likely the first one. Uh, But I changed my strings all the time early on when I was learning how to play guitar, and it was was dumb. There was no reason to do it. But I have lots of memories of loosening the guitar string, pulling the string out, and putting a new one in and changing my strings. I can see it in my mind right now, sitting on my grandparents' bed, changing my guitar strings once again. And to change the guitar string, as I said, you, you tune down the tuner peg so that the string gets loose and then you can pull it out. And then you replace it with a new string. And when you replace it with a new string, you start to tighten back up the tuning peg. And I can hear the sound vividly in my mind. You know, you, you, pluck, the, you pluck the string, you hear it and you go... It gets higher and higher and the, and the, the string gets tighter and tighter. And I remember that the, that the more that I tightened the string every time... The more I tighten the string, the more anxious I would get. Because I'm like, man, should I be tightening this more? Is this going to break? Like, I feel like we're almost to our snapping point here. I'm kind of nervous about this the more that I tighten it. The more tension that was introduced, the more anxious I got. Because I'm like, is this something finally going to break? In a very real way, if I'm being honest, that's some of what I'm feeling right now is that the more that we look at the kingdom of God and the values of the kingdom of God and what our role is in the kingdom of God, then I look around at the world and I look in my own life and I look even in how we do church and I'm like, man, it seems like there's some disconnects here. It seems like there's some things that maybe don't quite link up. There seems to be some tension here. And at times it even feels like, man, if we keep going down this road, are we just gonna, is it just gonna snap? I don't know if you felt that way, but I know that's something that I have been wrestling with. And so it leads us to this big point for this morning that we're going to talk about. And if you decide to check out after this one statement, you will have at least gotten the main point. I would encourage you not to, but if you did, at least you would have the main point. The big, big important thing that I want to communicate to us this morning is that when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, really surrender ourselves to Jesus, put him as king, and really live out kingdom values that we've been discovering and learning more and more about, we can count on a life filled with tension. And that is okay. Let me say it again. 
when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, put him as king in our lives, and we live out the kingdom values we have been learning about, we can count on a life filled with tension. And that is okay. Now, you might be sitting there having a visceral reaction to that statement. Me too. I don't even like those words coming out of my mouth because I don't want to live a life of tension. That can't sound right, right? Like Jesus came to set me free from tension. I've read that somewhere. Like Jesus came to, to forgive my sins and he's, he's come to offer me freedom. And it sure seems like I would much rather, much rather go uh, down this road where Jesus has come to remove tension from my life, not add more tension to it and not create more tension in it. Make no mistake, like Jesus is here to make your life like the most worthwhile it will ever be, but we have to recognize and realize this truth that living as a citizen of the kingdom will introduce tension into our lives. And so we have to ask a couple questions. The first is, is that true? Is that actually accurate? That living according to kingdom values will introduce tension into our lives and the second question is this, okay, if it's true, then, then how will we handle it? Now, before we get into what we're actually going to talk about here, though, we do need to make like a quick caveat. We need to make like a quick qualifier here. What we are going to be walking through this morning, these are tensions that are brought into our lives because we are surrendered to Jesus, because we are obedient to him, because we are living out kingdom values. We are not talking about the tensions that exist in our life because of our own laziness or rebellion or sin or stupidity. Just seriously, we, those aren't the tensions that we are talking about here because we can have a life filled with tension and it could be for all the wrong reasons. It can be because of our own rebellion and our own sin and our own laziness and our own stupidity. We can have a ton of tension in our life from that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about tension that surrender to Jesus brings into our life. So I don't want us walking out of here and be like, man, my life is really full of tension, but it's all because of my own bad decisions. It must be where Jesus wants me to be. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about tension that comes from surrender and obedience to Jesus. So keep that in mind as we run parallel, because I think there's a temptation to just smash them together and think of them as one, okay? Separate those out and kind of let one run parallel to the other. So let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, let's make sure that this statement is accurate, that if we live according to the kingdom, we actually invite and introduce tension into our lives and how we live. Because uh, I don't think we want this to be true. So we need to figure out, is this some like harebrained scheme that the youth pastor came up with and then made his way onto the stage to spew all over you guys? Or is this something that is actually provable, actually seen and proved in scripture? If you were hoping for an out, I don't think we're going to find one. Because we realize and we begin to see that when we look into the Bible, we see God is not afraid of letting things sit in tension. Not at all. There are tons of concepts and ideas and commands and situations and words right out of the mouth of our King Jesus that bring us to a place where we have to manage a tension. We base everything that we work off of and uh, that we live our lives off of on the word of God. And it is so full of places where we have to embrace tension. Let me give you a few examples. 
There's a few big concepts that lay in tension with each other. One of the big ones is the sovereignty of God, God's control over everything, and the free will that he gives humanity and creation in general to decide what they're going to do. There's all kinds of verses in the Bible about the sovereignty of God, his ultimate control over everything, but they're, they're all summed up really well in this passage I want to read to you. Uh, this morning. And by the way, these, we're going to be bouncing around a ton. So you can try to keep up if you want. I don't necessarily expect you to, but these notes will be on the website after, uh, after tomorrow. Um, and you're welcome to go look them up. Uh, try not to judge me too hard. Like they're like the notes of a serial killer. All right. Like it's, it's a mess and you don't even want to know how messy my brain is, but it's all on there. All the scriptures here and you can go check it out. But this passage really describes well uh, the sovereignty of God that, that we are trying to understand. Colossians 1, 16, 17 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That pretty much covers everything. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Is there a more beautiful or clear picture of the sovereignty of God, the one who controls it all, created it all, and all is in service to him? And yet we see so many examples in the pages of scripture from the very beginning of people being given the opportunity to choose whether to follow God or not, to love him or not, to be obedient to him or not. And many times we choose not. And so for those of us, who don't like tension, we approach a concept like this, like, okay, but which is it? Is, it, is God sovereign or does he give us free will? Can't be both, right? Those things can't coexist together. So, so tell me, is, it, is he sovereign or has he given us free will? God lets those things lay in tension with each other. Another example is one we would all agree on is that we are saved by grace alone through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, which we read a couple weeks ago. I want to read it again to you. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, not your works. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So what you do doesn't earn or gain you the salvation that God has gifted us. And yet we see in James chapter two, verse 17, he, him say, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. And those of us who don't like tension are like, okay, but which is it? Is it grace or, or is it works? Because if it's works, it can't be all grace. And if it's all grace, then it doesn't matter what we do. They're things that rest in tension. Let me throw one more and, and all of our church people in the room who are around the church all the time, you knew this was coming. The tension of truth and grace. We see that Jesus came and embodied truth and grace, and no one has done a great job of living in that tension since, it seems like. We got our truth people over here who weaponize truth and actually use it to hurt people. We have our grace people over here who would never even challenge someone to think differently about how they're doing their lives and neither side is really doing anything to help a person who needs to know Jesus or to grow in their relationship with him. And for those of us who don't like tension, we're like, okay, but which is it? Is it truth or is it grace? Which one? They can't, can't coexist, can they? It's a concept that rests in tension. And maybe you're like, okay, okay, I can get behind that. But those are like big, those are big theological concepts. You know, they're, they're meant to be kind of squishy. They're, they're big, big things. Okay, but we can get down to the nitty gritty here. Jesus, out of his own mouth, gives us 
commands and promises that seem to live in tension with each other. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30 says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We love that one, right? That's good news for us. And then just a few short chapters later in Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Jesus says, then he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life and lose it will will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what is it? Is the burden light or is it a cross? Because those things, those things don't seem to connect. They're the promises, they're, they're commands that Jesus gives us that lay in tension with each other. John 16, says, I have said these things to you in that me, you may have peace. Jesus says, in me, when you know me, you will have peace. And immediately follows it up with, in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what is it? Is it peace? Does he give us peace or does he give us trouble? These things lay in tension. We see it all throughout scripture. We see uh, the tension of contentment and having a lot and having very little. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter four. James chapter one talks about having joy in the middle of suffering. He says, count it joy when you experience all kinds of trials and tribulations and suffering. We see how and first, uh, in Second Corinthians, how we are being made alive yet dying to ourselves. Pretty much the whole letter of First Corinthians is about the tension between our freedoms as followers of Jesus and self-sacrifice for the benefit of other people. There's this massive issue with eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And some people are saying, we deserve to get to have the freedom do we want. And, and Paul's like, yeah, but just manage the tension of being willing to lay those freedoms down for the benefit of someone who isn't quite there yet. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how in his weakness, when he's at his weakest, that is when he is most strong. These things do not seem to connect. And we, as people who don't like tension, want to know what side should we fall on. I don't think we get the luxury of doing that. Instead, we have to recognize that so much of what Jesus calls us to and promises us lay in tension with each other. There's all kinds of examples of that through scripture, but the one that I think is probably the most compelling is the one we're going to sit in for just a second here. And so if you want to turn to it, you totally can. It's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. And if you've been around the church, this is going to sound pretty familiar to you pretty quickly. Um, and something that gets referred to as the Beatitudes. And what's happening here is Jesus has been doing ministry for a little while and he has his disciples with him. He's gained quite a following. There's a crowd following him. He takes the opportunity to kind of go up on this hillside to sit down and start to talk about the kingdom that he has come to establish. He's gonna give these people listening a picture of what his kingdom is gonna look like. And he starts strong right out the gate by saying, these are the characteristics that I wanna see in people who are a part of this kingdom. We're going to pick up reading right in verse one. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When it says the poor in spirit, it's really getting at the idea of like total dependence on God, not recognizing that we don't have what we need to be able to have a relationship with God. We are poor in spirit, so we need him. We are dependent on him. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, other translations say gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, like they need it to live, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, peace, active peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he ends it by saying this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I don't know about you, but as I read this anatomy of a citizen of God's kingdom, living like this does not seem like it would alleviate much tension in my life, for sure. In fact, it seems like it would only ramp up the tensions that I'm already feeling in my life. Because living like this is directly at odds with our old self and directly at odds with how the world around us works. This is not how you get ahead in this world. I think we can all agree that that's the case. This is not how you get ahead in this world. This is not how you find the world's definition of success. People are not looking for those who are utterly dependent on someone else. People are not looking for those who are overly merciful. People are not looking for those who can't get the job done. People aren't looking, the world isn't looking for those who would place a hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice above anything else. And certainly they're not looking for people that everyone else around them hates. So I hope that we can see what the Bible seems to so clearly explain to us is that if we are going to be citizens of this kingdom, it will invite tensions into our lives in this world which we live. And the reality is there's a very good reason for that. And the reason is this, that the kingdom of God that we are citizens of, the kingdom is now, but it's also not yet fully realized. There's people who are way, way smarter than me who have done way, way more research on this and they have been able to boil down this concept kind of into that sentence. And it's so helpful to me because when Jesus came all those years ago as a, as a fully God and fully man, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. He defeated sin and death through his death and resurrection. He established his kingdom on this world. And he invites anyone who follows him to be part of that kingdom that will expand and expand and expand. And yet Jesus was ascended to heaven and says, I will be back few weeks ago, Matt, Matt said this really, really well. The first time Jesus came to deal with sin, the second time Jesus is coming to deal with judgment. We are living in the kingdom right here and now, but it is not yet fully realized. It won't be until we are with God through death or Jesus returns to establish that kingdom in its fullness here on this world. Mark 1, 14 through 15 Jesus lays this out for us. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Some translation says here, some translations say near. This one says the kingdom of God is at hand. 
It's right in front of you, is what we need to take away from that. It says, repent and believe in the gospel. So the kingdom is here now, but not yet fully realized. And when Jesus returns, it will be. But until then, we are left in this in-between. And this in-between is chock full of tension. And I don't think we need to be so afraid of it. I don't think we need to be scared of it. In fact, maybe we need to embrace it. But however, that's not our natural response, right? Because unless you're an absolute like sociopath, (laughs) no one here wants to experience tension. No one here wakes up, no one here woke up this morning like, I hope that my day is full of tensions. That's what I'm going for today. No one does that. I, I hope no one does that. And so our natural response is not to embrace tension regardless of where it comes from. In fact, most of humanity is in service to alleviating tension in our lives. Think about any innovation or structure or organization. Nine times out of ten, it all is in service to us not having to deal with so much tension in the world in which we live. And we like to do that because it's easier and it feels right. It allows us to not have to change. It's easier for us to draw like really hard definitive lines of who's in and who's out and who's bad and who's good. When there's no tension, you can just really lean into the extremes. And so if we can agree that scripture says living for Jesus will bring about tension and that really we don't need to be afraid of it, we get why it's there, we understand why it has to exist, then the next question that we need to ask ourselves is then how are we responding to this kingdom tension that consistently gets introduced into our lives? I think we'd all like to say we handle it really, really well, but I think if we were honest with ourselves, that might not be the true answer, right? See, I think, I think for most of us, we respond to kingdom tension that Jesus brings into our lives the same way we respond to any other tension or any other danger or any other conflict in our lives. I'm sure you've heard this before, but whenever we feel on our heels or whenever we feel trapped, we usually do one of three things, right? Flight, fight, flight, or freeze, right? That's, that's very often, that's a human, that's an instinct response. And I think that we respond in the exact same way even when kingdom tension is introduced into our lives. So let's run through these and maybe you'll see yourself in one of them. Some of us, when we feel kingdom tension, we jump to action. We fight it. My mind jumps to Peter, such a clear example of this. He's with Jesus in the garden. The soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And in that moment, there is a kingdom tension being introduced into Peter's narrative of who Jesus was and how Jesus should conquer the world. Because kings don't get arrested. Conquerors don't get taken away in shackles. And so because this tension was introduced into Peter's worldview of who Jesus was supposed to be, what do we see him do? We see him fight back. We see him draw a sword and lop off one of the servant's ears in an effort to fight. Of course, we know how the rest of the story goes. Jesus kind of puts Peter in his place and reattaches the ear and continues on with his mission uh, in how he will make the world right. And so many of us, I think, are exactly like Peter. We jump to action. We jump to fight. We're ready to fight when we feel tension, even if it's tension that's coming from the kingdom. We use one-liners and mic drop moments and we weaponize our convictions and our ideas and we weaponize truth to just beat people in to submission, to shut down the conversation. We think we're fighting on behalf of the kingdom, but really we're just fighting to alleviate the tension we feel. 
Sometimes we fight back by looking for loopholes so that the tension doesn't have to exist as much as it did. And I can't even tell you, I can't even tell you how often I have conversations with people about the Beatitudes in particular, where they're like, yeah, I know it says that, but does it really mean that? Are you sure there's not a loophole? Like, I know that he says that we are to be poor in spirit, but you know, self-reliance is a good thing. It's okay. Like, I know that uh, it says that the meek will inherit the world, but like, don't be a doormat. Like, we don't want to let people walk all over us. We do that so often with scripture, don't we? Jesus says something that is extreme and then models it without making any kind of compromise, but we think we know better. And we're like, well, there must be some workaround, must be some loophole. That can't actually be what he meant. Certainly not for me and here in this time. When we do that, we're fighting to alleviate tension by trying to find a loophole. Some of us, we, we fight the tension that the kingdom introduces into our life by scrambling to try to make the world around us look as close as possible to the kingdom that we are a part of. It's called legislating morality. We struggle with it a lot in this country. It's just a reality. It's not a, it's not a statement on our value or worth. It's just a reality where if only we can get the right person in office, if only we can get the right governing body up there to pass the laws that look enough like kingdom laws that we don't have to feel the tension anymore. Man, I did this last service and I thought maybe I'd come up with a more eloquent way of saying this for second service and I couldn't. Here's the deal. That is just so lame. That is so lame that we do that. Because what it means is we are willing to settle for a knockoff version of the kingdom when the real thing is available to us if we're willing to sit in attention. We are settling for a wish.com version of the kingdom of God. Does anyone here know what wish.com is? It's this website, for those of you who don't know, this website where you can buy tons of products, anything you can think of for super, super cheap, low, low cost to you. But the reason that it's such a low cost is because you're ordering it like from the manufacturing like factory in China or wherever it came from. And so you order it, you don't have to pay much. It takes forever to get to you, if it ever gets to you. And nine times out of 10, you open it and it looks nothing like it's supposed to. Like if you go home today and Google wish.com fails, you will see this long list of things that pop up where the actual product looks nothing like the thing it was meant to. When we try to legislate morality, man, listen to this. When we try to legislate morality, we are settling for a wish.com version of the kingdom. Why in the world would we settle for that? All in an effort to just, alleviate some tension? Some of us fight, maybe some of us, that's not our first instinct, but our first instinct is to run. It's to run away from the tension so they can't get us. I think of the rich young ruler that shows up and has an interaction with Jesus and, and he says, I wanna follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, great, have you adhered to the commandments? He said, yes, since I was a little kid. And he's like, okay, I see that you have a lot of material wealth. I want you to be willing to give that up to come follow me. And the rich young ruler looks at everything that he has and he can't give it up. And he doesn't run, we don't see him run, but we see him walk away from Jesus because he can't handle living the tension that Jesus is all he needed when he thought all he needed was in his actual hands. Here's a reality. Jesus calls us to be in this world, not of this world, not to be separated out, not to run for the hills, not to try to get away from tension, but to go into the world, into the tension for the sake of the kingdom. And there's an example that is just right smack dab in front of us. And I'm treading lightly, so just please hear my heart. I do not understand this massive Christian exodus from California because things have just gotten so bad here. If that's 
your plan and you have a good reason to do it, more power to you, no shame, no judgment, but I do not understand this line of thinking where we're like, it is so bad here, so we gotta get out of here where things look a little bit more like the kingdom in the culture around us. Since when have we read anything in scripture that would make us think that that's what we should do? When have we ever seen Jesus be like, oh, it's really bad there, guys. Head for the hills, run away, separate yourself out. Never, we never see that happen, ever. Instead, Jesus very, very often calls his followers to go into places where they will experience extreme tension for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom. When we run, most of the time, it's just because we don't want to deal with the tension. Last thing, we got to keep going. Last way we respond that is not a great way to respond is we freeze. Almost like tension is this some kind of like T-Rex from Jurassic Park, where if we, just, if we just be still enough, it can't find us, it can't get us. We ignore it, and it'll just kind of move on past. We see this in Scripture too, the crowd the crowd that consistently followed Jesus that were just like hanging out in the peripheral, enjoying all the benefits of being around Jesus, the healings, the food, but bailed as soon as things got hard. That kind of ignored the tension that Jesus would throw out there. Maybe we have just amassed so much stuff in our lives, not even bad things, just things in our lives where when the kingdom introduces some tension, in a different way of seeing things or seeing people or how to live, we have so much insulation that we can kind of just be still and ignore it. I also think we're pretty good at that here as well. And honestly, I feel like we've been able to get away with that for a while. I think those days are long gone. At the very least, they're coming to a close. We cannot ignore the tensions that God is actively placing in our lives and in our church. And so what are we left with? Well, we're left with the question, okay, then how should we respond? We shouldn't fight to alleviate tension. We shouldn't run from tension. We shouldn't freeze and try to ignore tension. Maybe what Jesus is calling us to do is to just with arms wide open, embrace the tension that he has brought into our lives. That we recognize that we are gonna look different than the world around us. We recognize that there will always be something new that God wants to bring about in our lives. And we can rest in that tension without being afraid of it. It's not an easy thing. It's an incredibly difficult thing. But there's some very good reasons why we should pursue it. And that's what I wanna leave us with this morning. Just, I got two, just real quick, two reasons why it's worth embracing the tension. The first is this. We live in the tension now. We embrace the tension now so that we don't have to feel it there. We embrace the tension now so we don't have to feel it there. I found an awesome uh, article that really describes what I'm trying to get across here really, really well. And I would love for you to just sit back and kind of listen to what this author wrote down. He says, God is not just keeping us alive until he decides to take us to heaven. He is equipping us to be ready for it. Heaven is not meant to be a terrible shock for us like some celestial holiday resort, which looks nothing like the photos, a place where we wake up and find ourselves saying, oh, I never thought it would be like this. It will, of course, be utterly wonderful, better than we can possibly imagine. But the point is this, its values are ones that we should try to live now. Love that. That's beautiful. I, for one, so hope that when I get past that moment from the kingdom here now to the not yet fully realized kingdom, when I get past that moment, whether through death or through Jesus coming back to establish his kingdom, man, I so hope that I look around and don't think, well, I've never been here before. Like, of course, it's gonna be so much better than anything we could imagine, but 
I certainly hope that my life before that moment and the life after it at least connect together, at least feed in to each other. The more we're willing to live in tension now, the less that we have to experience it later. The other really good reason, I think, that, uh, that we should embrace tension, even though it's difficult, is that when we embrace kingdom tension, we can accomplish kingdom purposes. I bet this is true for you too. All the best things I've ever done in my life, the things I think back on that are worthwhile, there were things that were so full of tension. There were things that were not easy. There were things that took dependence and surrender, but they were the best things I've ever done with my life. And I totally believe that many of you have stories exactly like that. Circle back around to that guitar string that we talked about at the very beginning. The only way that it can make music is for it to have a certain level of tension, right? Any stringed instrument has to have a certain level of tension. No one is going to hear the sound that string can make if all the tension has been removed from it. And maybe the church is the same way. Maybe the world can't hear the message of hope that we carry because we have removed all the tension that makes it compelling and able to be heard. And maybe for the world to hear the message of hope we carry, we need to embrace the good, godly, Christ-like kingdom tension that Jesus is so faithful to continue to bring into our lives. So walking out of here, there's two questions we can ask ourselves. The first is this, where is your tension coming from? Is it coming from your own bad decisions, your own sin, your own rebellion? Or is the tension in your life coming from the kingdom? One is totally worth rejecting. The other one we have to embrace with arms wide open. And the second question is this, how are you managing it? Are you fighting kingdom tension? Are we, are we running from kingdom tension? Are we freezing to hope that it'll just pass us by? Or are we willing to embrace kingdom tension for the sake of our king and the advancement of his kingdom, which now we are a part of? Would you pray with me? And then Pastor Matt's gonna come and just share a few words as we get ready uh, to leave this morning. Jesus, I don't even want to say this, but thank you for the tension. Thank you for calling us into something that honestly we're not even capable of, but because we have your power living in us, Lord, we are able to make happen through your strength. God, uh, this is not an easy road that you've called us to. And maybe we've just rejected the tension for so long that we've gotten really used to not feeling it. Lord, I pray that as we walk out of here and as we go about our day, Lord, that we would be actively looking for the places that you want to bring tension into our lives and understand it's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. In fact, we can accomplish so much for your kingdom if we're willing to sit in some tensions that you bring into our lives. Lord, thank you that we never walk this path alone, that you have not left us to do it on our own, but that through your strength and with your presence, Lord, we can manage these tensions well so that your name can be lifted up and that your kingdom can be seen. God, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, which you're gonna continue to do as we walk out of this place this morning. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.